If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Well, hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I hope everyone is ready for the weekend. It's been quite the week in the world of cybersecurity, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. Welcome to all of my listeners. Um, again, we are co-joined with the radio show Voice America and our LinkedIn Live listeners. So thank you all for being here today. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. If you want to catch any of our other shows on Voice America, be sure to go to your favorite podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, and check out Voice America and Security for All in the Business Network. We air live every Friday at noon Pacific time, and you can catch all of our past sessions on demand. So to, again, this week, we've had a very interesting week. And as you all have been watching the news, you know that there was a big cyber attack on Colonial Pipeline. So today we're going to talk about what, where are we going now? What are we going to do about this? Where do we go next? I have Dr. Chase Cunningham. He's the Chief Strategy Officer of Ericom Software and a former analyst at Forrester. And he has been a longtime guest on many of our cybersecurity conferences. And he is always insightful. Very excited to have him on the show. Welcome, Chase. Hey, thank you for having me. It's uh, always good to show up here. It seems like we never have uh, a day where there's not something to talk about, right? Well, and we have a lot to talk about. It's crazy what's happened. I was actually at my um, daughter's college graduation, and I'm like watching her stream because the the kids, the graduates, um, got to graduate, but the parents were watching it on the stream. And then I'm seeing on my phone what's happening. And as we were driving back, all hell went crazy. <laughs> so, so here we are almost a week later. And I know you've been a busy, busy man for the last week. So let's just start breaking some things down. We've had some new news come out. What can you tell, you know, this, con this, uh, radio show is, is called and security for all. So we do have some listeners that are trying to understand what is going on. Us, when we're in this world, we understand cyber attacks and we understand, you know, hackers, but let's just start a little bit and tell me what you know about the dark side and who they are and how this happened. Well, so what, what you should immediately walk away from this is number one, we're still figuring out and learning a lot about the details of what's going on. Um, I'm, Lucky enough that because of VEX military affiliations and other things, I still get to talk with a lot of people uh, in closed sort of sessions about interesting points that come out of these types of events. Uh, the EO that came out from the Biden administration was also something that um, I was lucky enough to get sort of cursory involvement in. And where we're at is right now, what we know is that there was a major ransomware event on a pipeline system um, that provides gas and fuel to the eastern sort of seaboard of the United States. Uh, we do know that it was uh, launched by an organization that is engaged in criminal activities located within the Russian Federation. Uh, and we do know that this type of activity um, seems to have been uh, the typical ransomware event where they got paid to kind of give back the system to the company. And interestingly enough, 
what we've seen come out of that so far is, uh, you know, a lot of people talking about don't pay the ransom, da 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 da, this type of thing. But I mean, we needed fuel to get back up and running, and the, this is not something where you could have sat around and not responded. Uh, so it's it's been a big big issue. So what's your take? Because it's this 50-50. Should they have paid? Should they have not have paid? What what would your thought be on that? My So here's the problem, right? Is I mean, essentially, when you pay a ransom, we've had that, that position for a long time in, in anti-terrorism spaces, is you don't negotiate with terrorists, right? You don't pay terrorists. However, mm-hmm. this is difficult because it is, I mean, it's a form of financial terrorism, really. Someone's got you by the... Uh, the short and curlies and they're saying like, look, you've got to pay up. And if you don't, I'm going to keep making you miserable. And if you're in a, if you're in a company and it's just you or it's, it's maybe a small business or something like that, it's only going to affect a few of you. And you can kind of go, you know what? I'm not going to pay you um, go to hell, bad guy, and then work your way back from misery to get back to where you were and lose the data that they've taken. But when you're dealing with these organizations like hospitals and pipelines and, trucking and all these other really important critical infrastructure pieces, we don't have the luxury of going like, I'm not going to pay you to get my system back. I mean, if we lose gas in this country, we're not operational. Like this is no small thing. So uh, this was hard for those, those folks. I, I don't know that they were wrong either way, to be perfectly frank. If it was me um, and I had the money that I know that those folks have got in the bank, I probably would have paid just to try and get my stuff back up and, is it the wrong thing to do? Yes. Is it the right thing to do? Kinda. So do you think it would have been a difference um, had Colonial Pipeline, because they're not a public company, um, if they would have been a public company, do you think there would have been a difference? I mean, they could make decisions a lot quicker. What are your thoughts on that? I think we're, I mean, I think it was good that they were private and that there weren't publicly traded. Um, honestly, the leadership in this position kind of was painted into a corner um, and they, they had to do something. Now, what we do know about when they did pay back, and this is still kind of filtering its way out to the media and the news, is the bad guys actually didn't give them a very effective tool to get their system back up and running. So they paid and they kind of got junk back and they had to go around and do the other things anyway. So it was one of those things of, you know, roll the dice and you either get it right or get it wrong. And we see that a lot of times with ransomware events where people will pay. And sometimes you get your system back really quickly and things go great. And the bad guys have got really good tech support or you get kind of crap back and you actually wound up paying twice because now you're suffering to get your system back anyway. I There's, there's no good way to deal with this type of uh, problem, to be perfectly frank, other than not to be owned in the first place if you can do that. Well, what could they have done? Well, so, I mean, this is what's kind of disturbing to me is when you look at what's going on here, and this is public knowledge, so this is not something I'm revealing on, like, classified or information, but uh, there was a company that actually audited Colonial Pipeline a while back, and this this report was published through the AP and a few other uh, news organizations that said that, Basically, they crawled through systems, did typical pen testing, typical scanning, everything that you typically see. And the company, the pipeline systems infrastructure was woefully bad at cybersecurity. Um, literally, the quote was an eight-year-old could have hacked their way into the system. And so that was a while back. And the company, we don't know what they did after that, right? They got told about it. They kind of did, did the thing and said, somebody's told us we have problems. Did they go off and fix it? Obviously not. But really, you know, 
that was it. They should have taken that fix that they'd been given a long time ago and started applying those things to fix that problem. And I think the bigger issue here actually that we need to pay attention to is this is indicative of the market writ large for people like you said that aren't in cyber. They they kind of will glance at this and they kind of will do some stuff that they've been told, but they don't take it seriously enough. Well, you tell me when you think we're going to take, not us, but the rest of the non-cyber folks are going to start taking it serious enough. When is it going to hit them? I guess when their power, water, I mean, and we'll get, I don't want to jump into that yet, but so I'll just table that for a minute because we have a whole bunch to talk about that. But what is your, so now today we hear on the news that this dark side, the hackers are folding up and they're quitting or whatever. You, you know more about that than me. I just caught that really quick. I didn't have the news on today and I thought I better catch up before we talked. So tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, that people, there's been some news reports that have come out and said, oh, dark side is folded and and. and I mean, without having privy to classified information, but having worked in those spaces, I my guess is we probably you know did something that was uh, in response to this. Whether or not we took down their servers or something on the on the classified level, maybe that happened. Um, in reality, what's probably actually the fallout from this is the bad guys kind of realize like, uh oh, we really went after something that's going to really piss off or a superpower, and they're rebranding and moving and setting up new infrastructure because. For them, this is business. Like they're going to come back, they'll be somewhere else. Nobody's going to get arrested, so they're just shutting down. Um, even if they got taken down, they're going to move somewhere else, and then they'll come back up in another another area. Like this, this is a momentary interruption for them. This is not a degradation of their capability in space by any means. So, do you think that this was an act of war, in your opinion, from Russia? No, I don't. So here, here's the other issue that we run into here, right? Is and I'll, I'll, I, I mean, I've written books about this. We, we are already engaged in cyber warfare nationally, internationally, with with folks everywhere else, and there are no allies in cyberspace. Like there is no Geneva Convention for cyber. So people need to remember that. But what I think is very interesting is that you know because this did occur inside of the Russian Federation, um, it's probably probable to think that there is uh, at least some sort of tacit awareness that this type of thing has occurred and made it coordination those type of things we don't know on the unclassified side but it it usually means that there's at least uh knowledge of things going on in those particular spaces you know is this an act of war by russia i don't think so i don't think you can classify it that way is it something that we should point out to the russian leadership and go this is not okay, do something, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, yes, uh, what are you going to do? Sanction Russia? They don't care. So do you think this is the biggest attack that we've had to date on U.S. soil? Um, I mean, Scripps Healthcare is actually in the middle of an event right now. Um, nobody's even talking about that one. So there's there's other organizations that are actually being hit by ransomware as it's going like this minute, this second but it's this is the one that kind of showed up. And I, I think that the only good to come out of this is it's a bit of a realization of like, like this is for real. Like all these cyber geeks and folks that have been, you know, squawking at us for the longest time. We're not just screaming chicken little. Like this is the real deal. And now you've got to wake up to it because we're going to start, you know, critical services are threatened. And what we've learned over the last year, if you lose, you know, oil and gas and power and whatever else, like look what happened in Texas. Mm -hmm. People you know, people die. And I mean, that's the reality of it. 
So let's talk a little bit. So they paid the ransom. They had to pay it with cryptocurrency. So talk to us about that. First of all, let's kind of break that down. How do they get their hands on this cryptocurrency and how quick do they have access to that? And is there a way to track that? And let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin cryptocurrency is is a uh, a big problem for trying to track bad guys when they're doing bad things on the internet. I mean, you could go right now and set up a you know your own access to Bitcoin and those types of things. So it's it's not good because it's very very hard to figure out and track. And then on top of that, cryptocurrency is stuff that runs on systems and uh, immutable ledgers and distributed networks and et cetera et cetera that really makes it almost impossible to have a record of what occurred where. Um, and then the adversary just knows how to go get their stuff and turn it back on and get their money out of it. And, you know, that's that's why they're being paid this way. So, you know, there's there's lots of folks that have been uh, that aren't in cyber that kind of will ask the question and they've been on Fox News, NBC and whatever else going, well, we should take it to these guys and we should show them what's up and lock down their uh, But you're not able to do that. Like they've they've already won. They've already beat us because of the way that the system works. And. They're sitting there. They're going to collect their money sooner or later. Um, you know the way that cryptocurrency it just distributes itself. Um, they may not get all of it, but they're going to get as much as they possibly can. So, you know, this is this is big time problem, and this is uh, this is, in my opinion, as important a problem to solve as we've had with COVID and some of these others. So, you know, I had a show yesterday, we had our Canadian cybersecurity conference there, and I had a team of people talking about threat intelligence and um, human trafficking, which is the same thing, you know, everything's being hit through cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and I mean, it's just, who... And they can't, I had some people from the human traffic initiative that's all over the country, all over global. They don't even have enough people to manage what they're trying to do. So how, how do we wrap our heads around this? I mean, how do you even start to be able to manage what's going on in this cryptocurrency, you know, with things going on with the, in that world? Well, I mean, cryptocurrency is a, is a whole other issue, right? Because, I mean, we have actual national sort of infrastructure-ish and financial transaction things that are starting to roll up around cryptocurrency. I mean, you could buy a, I think you can buy a Tesla now with Bitcoin and those types of things. I think that's a, one issue. But the other one really is we don't have anything legislatively that has been put in place that actually talks about the definitions and punishments for negligence in cyber. And that's what we're actually dealing with here. I mean, these folks, if you go read through the report you know that they that they got from their initial uh uh penetration test and everything else that they were looked at i mean it was months and months and months ago they paid somebody 50 grand to do it and then they didn't do anything to actually fix the issues that were identified so they were in my opinion negligent in their response because they were negligent in their response we have this crisis now shouldn't they whoever's in charge over there be punished for that type of thing. And it's not punished of, oh, here's a fine because you violated, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley or PCI. It's negligence and you either pay the fine or you go to prison. So when you have colonial pipeline so they're going to pay this five million dollars or they paid the five million dollars is it is it just are you gambling with what you're going to get back and tell us you said that they didn't get everything back. So so Break that down a little for us, like how, where yeah, they are really, now and what they're left with. Well, I mean, luckily it's a pipeline system, right? So it's lots of manual controls are available there. Uh, there is an ability to go back and sort of turn things back on because you can physically, 
you know, open valve, what you need to do for, for different systems. Um, so that was kind of a lucky thing, I guess you could say. But in reality, the bad guys just kind of said, okay, you paid us. And I believe they initially started their negotiations at 50 million and the, uh, they actually paid out at five. So they negotiated. They, they didn't get a really good decryption tool back. The bad guys will give you back whatever their decryptor is. And based on the nature of the infrastructure, which is already locked down, you've got to try and go back and run this tool to decrypt everything that they encrypted. And it, it just becomes very, very problematic. And most of the time, it's not like it's written by Microsoft or Symantec or something. It's written by, you know, the, the bad guys. So it's not quality-ish tooling. Um, and it's going to cause problems as you try and decrypt what's been encrypted. So we have a look. We have a comment, and this should be right up your alley. Uh, Karsten Kraus, thanks for joining us today. He's saying, "Why pay ransom?" According to the FBI, many hackers are not providing the decryption key. Better to back your data up, MFA, and advanced threat protection as a countermeasure. Fit zero days. I mean, I don't disagree with him there. It's one of those things where uh, everybody, you know, and that's that's what was bothering me about watching all the news coverage is we shouldn't pay these people. Uh, yeah, you say that until it's you, until it's mm -hmm. your business, until it's your organization. Or can you imagine being the CEO, CIO, whoever that's running this pipeline and realizing, oh, my God, like we've just, you know, had this major incident happen. Like they're thinking about a thousand other things. And for them, I mean, five million bucks, it sounds like a lot of money. For most of these companies, like, that's a rounding error. They probably spent that, you know, I don't know, toilet paper for their offices or something over a couple of years. So if it was, you know, you in that particular position, I would promise you a lot of folks that sit there talking about not paying a ransom, they would be thinking about paying the ransom. And yes, so I agree with Carson. If you should have better security, you should do security right, billion percent. But when things go wrong, I'm just telling you from personal experience, all of a sudden, when you're in the trench, you know, there are there are, there are no atheists and foxholes, if you will. Like, you're going to think about paying that ransom. So where does the line, the line come between who's responsible, the private company or the government or, you know, our country? When is our country going to be responsible from or is that ever going to happen? Well, that's what we need to have happen. And, uh, you know, I actually sent up draft legislation to a bunch of senators and congressmen about 18 months ago. And uh, interestingly enough, about a week ago, somebody put it there about a negligence in cyber sort of mandate clause, whatever. Um, and it took a whole lot of really smart people to get that thing moving. But that's what we have to have happen is like, look, we, we've told you, we've got 20 something years worth of this. We've told you what best practices are. There are requirements, there are compliance, all these other things. If you choose to ignore those and you work your way around the system and you do bad stuff and you get owned, guess what? You're going to get punished for it. Like this is no longer something just to screw around with and go, whoops, like bad day. If you read through what actually happened with Colonial Pipeline too, it actually says in there that because of what they do and because of the market that they fit into, that they are not actually required by federal mandate to do cybersecurity things. They're not in healthcare. They're not doing credit card stuff as far as that pipeline system goes. So they don't have that requirement. They don't, they don't actually have to do cyber, which is a problem. So we've been talking several times on our show about nation state. So let's talk a little bit about that. And why don't you break that down for those listeners that are out there that don't understand what, you know, that means. So nation 
State, basically, if you think about it right, cyberspace is the ultimate battlefield. I mean, it's the only place in history where every man, woman, child, device, everything is transing a live fire battlefield environment and every nation is essentially made even. I mean, you can have a, a nation like North Korea literally take it to something in the United States. There's just no way that you could do that in traditional regular combat warfare. Cyberspace levels the playing field. Nation states and APTs are all these countries, all these major organizations that are jockeying for position to continually try and win in cyberspace and gain sort of competitive advantage. And that's why I like to remind people, like, there are no allies in cyberspace. It's, it's you know, the U.S. is in there. We're an APT like everybody else is. We're a nation state. You know, Russia, China, France, Israel, you name it. If they've got the Internet, they have the capability to be a nation state. So there's been a lot of talk in the news about, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin and his responsibilities in this. And, I, you know, w- what's your thoughts? What can you say about that? Well, uh, what, I mean, I think really when you look at it, you know, nations, espionage and all those other things. I mean, those folks play 3D chess. They don't play checkers. And for them, they're looking at this as, you know, is it if I have some rogue asset in my country that's able to go after a resource and cause some hate and discontent and chaos? Is that a bad thing for me? No. I mean, the KGB and some of those other organizations in in those areas of the world have literally said chaos is the goal. So it's not that they have to have these you know cataclysmic nuclear explosions and crashes and whatever else. If I can just cause enough hate and discontent and enough chaos, I win because at the same time you're with all the shenanigans my country continues to get bigger, better, faster, and do more stuff. So this is uh, this is not something that you could say definitively, like this individual authorized this type of activity. But what you can do is look at this and go at a national level at a big, grand, uh, strategic sort of conceptual problem space. It's probably likely, just like we're engaged in it, that other countries are, in, are working to gain a competitive advantage via whatever means possible. And cyber is a great way of doing that. So have you ever heard of a situation like this, this, this hacker group, dark side, you know, I've never seen, I'm not like you, I'm not an analyst that follows everything going on, but, um, you know, them just announcing that they're folding up and leaving. I mean, is that just, I think they got, I think they freaked out. I think they basically, you know, uh, if you through lots and lots of reports and lots of underground stuff that was kind of floating around about it and, Thankfully, um, a lot of the Intel folks um, provided some of that. But I mean, when you're when you're reading it, I think that what actually happened was uh, they they hit a target because it was an easy target. Like I said, an eight year back into this network, they got there, they did their ransomware event, and then somewhere along the way, they just went, "Oh Jesus!" Like this was way bigger than what we thought. I don't think they actually knew the gravity of what they were doing, and. When they realized um, the national infrastructure of the United States is now affected on, you know, the entire eastern seaboard, this is going all the way up to the president. Um, holy crap, we need to start figuring out a way to go and make sure that we're, you know, safe on the far end of this. And that's what they're doing. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that they're folding up shop. I don't think that they're out of the game. I think that they're just a little freaked out. They're going to make sure they get their money and then they're going to go somewhere else and be more safe about the way they take out targets in the future. So w- now that they're leaving, did did uh, Colonial Pipeline did they get everything they needed back? Be- besides what besides what we talked about, like was yeah, there still more not, to come? All up and running. 
No, I mean, and what when you actually go through what what they got to, right? It was mainly around the um, the billing and payment system that was looking like it was going to spill over into other areas. So, to the credit of the Colonial Pipeline team, they did the right thing by bricking the network because if they let that thing spread, it could have been even worse. We could have been more than a week with them being down. It could have been months. So, to their credit, I think they did what they could with what they had, um, and luckily they you know saw things going on. But they're not all up and running again. I mean, as far as as far as it goes, they're back in gas. But I think that they're going to be um, fixing things for quite a while. So are we all good now on gas? Are those lines like? To, are these gas stations back to capacity? I think I saw like Virginia, North Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee are, are like fifty percent ish, uh, which is not too terrible. I mean, gas prices are are up, um, you know, 20, 30 cents in some spots, which is pretty substantial in a week. But uh, the gas is flowing, which is good. Um, but it's, I think they said that they would be, you know, full speed, full operational capability within a week. And, and gas only goes through that pipeline at about five to eight miles an hour, and it's 5,500 miles long. So, I mean, if you think about how long it takes you to push that gas around, a couple of hours worth of downtime um, is, is significant. So Corey Munson, who was my guest last week, has a comment. Uh, thanks for tuning in, Corey. Says, seems to be a continual lack of transparency related to cyber attacks. Does the underscore, does this underscore the need for NTSB style broad that could investigate and report to the public on what actually happened, including security failures? Yeah, I mean, that's what came out with the EO from the Biden administration this week was that they want to establish an an NTSB style board to do after action reporting and analysis to really drive that forward. And and I've been saying this for a long time, not to, you know, be the armchair quarterback, but I mean, I've been saying this for a long time that we needed some sort of capability to do this because in in the airline industry, if you build a plane that you think or even have an inkling is going to just fall out of the sky and they categorically do fall out of the sky somebody's in real, real big trouble when the NTSB goes back and crawls through that what happened to lead failure. It's really the same thing that we're looking at here. There's no reason we shouldn't have some type of board to do this and crawl through it and, and make sure that people are held accountable because we are so far past the days of people being able to say like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, mm, sorry, I got it wrong. Like, no. I mean, if you're a CIO or CISO or somebody in charge of one of these organizations, you're getting a great big paycheck. Uh, and you should be held accountable for the requirements that are put in front of you. I mean, I, and to, to provide insight on that, like I had a company try and hire me as a CISO and I felt them out and sort of saw what they wanted to do and how they didn't want to actually engage in security. I didn't take the job because I was the one responsible for it. And there's no way in God's green earth I was going to be somebody's sacrificial lamb. Like you need to think about those types of things if you're in that type of position. So did Colonial Pipeline, do they have a good security team that was already in place? Well, we don't know a whole lot about their actual individual security team. At least I don't because I'm not deeply involved in the remediation. But what what we do know is that they were trying to hire a cybersecurity leader and a cybersecurity manager a couple of months ago. Now, whether or not they did, whether or not that individual has been on board, nobody's uh, made me aware of that yet, but um, I'm, I would say go watch LinkedIn for the next couple of weeks and you'll be able to figure out what they're looking for. 
Right. So, so let's talk a little bit now. Like, what do you think it's going to wake up some of the other type of infrastructure companies that we have all over the world? Let's talk about, you know, power companies and, you know, our water systems. And um, do you think that it's just going to take a few more before people start really, you know, putting their budgets into security? Well, unfortunately, here's where weird thing about this space right is that there's there's been more investment more money thrown at this problem than actually uh than than there was for particular forms of cancer research in the last year like seriously we put more money into fixing cybersecurity than we did into curing some forms of cancer months which is staggering but what we're what we're seeing is that it's not about money it's not about more and more and more it's about like Corey was saying and karsten was saying You've got to deal with the actual fundamentals of the problem to fix it, to remediate it, so that you don't allow the compromise to occur in the first place. And it's not that you can stop the hack or the exploit. Notice I didn't say that. It's the compromise when they cause massive spread of infection. Like, that's what you're trying to limit. I'm, and I, that's something that we need to collectively embrace more. Is like, I'm going to get hacked somewhere because people do people things, but I don't want to allow that system to go down writ large. You know, I'm okay with a, a tree burning in the forest. I'm not okay with the entire forest on fire. So let's, let's kind of look on the dark side for a moment and give us some of your visions of what, what could happen with some of these infrastructures. Tell us, cause we've seen it happen in other countries. So just give us some worst case scenarios. Well, I mean, what worries me the most is some of these things that are networked and connected that um, are, you know, critical to health, welfare and life. Um, you know, if you think about systems that are uh, connected to allow, you know, command and control of aircraft at the landing or um, healthcare systems or pharmaceutical uh, control, water, water systems, we've already seen that occurs. I mean, anywhere that you have something that could cause uh, you know, massive loss of life or even, you know, some loss of life is not tolerable in my opinion. And I, th these things continue to prove that there are avenues for exploitation that we probably aren't dealing with or aren't acting on enough. And especially when you think about the fact that it's not going to be probably the major companies that are going to get ripped. It's going to be the small parties, the third parties, the vendors, the providers that have connections into that network that will go, bad guys are moving downstream. And that's the problem, is they're going to get to those little companies to work their way to the big ones. I mean, whoever heard of Colonial Pipeline before last week? Exactly. Same as whoever heard of solar winds before solar winds happened, you know. So, so what are, as these bigger companies, so I had a group of um, guys that were, um, on my show and they were all the CISOs of like the city of Irvine and they, they were the city CISOs and their big problem was the third party, like they're in these contracts, you know? And so what happens, you know, when you're locked into these contracts and that third party, you may not trust in their security anymore. What do you do when you're in situations like that? I mean, honestly, you shouldn't trust them. You should tell them flat out, like, look, I don't think that you've got things right. I think that you probably are compromised. And until you can prove otherwise, um, you know, I'm going to look at possibly canceling your contract or whatever. It's you, you were in a place where a lot of these organizations, you know, they need to take a position of strength 
rather than the position of like, I really hope people would do things better. We can't continue to do that. Like we have decades of proof that that's not going to help anything out. And I understand, like I get it. And I, I, uh, I billion percent applaud those people. They have a hell of a hard job. Um, but you know, they're going to be where those bad things will occur, especially municipalities and localities. So they've got to change their approach and they've got to take a position of strength. You're getting money from my budget. We're paying you. If you don't kind of align to the requirements I'm putting in front of you because I value, I value security, then I'm going to find someone that will. Well, uh, we have Nikki Bolin from Checkpoint Security. We love Checkpoint. They're big uh, supporters of our events. And she said, brilliant. Thank you for uh, listening. But are these guys locked in? I mean, you're the guy. I mean, I was in the Navy. I understand how the government works. Once you're in a contract, first of all, it takes years to even deploy a contract. And then once you, you know, have that contract in place, are you, I mean, it's such a, bureaucracy of are you stuck in that situation and that's well that's where the biden North administration and the executive order that have come out are are lining some things up but don't get me wrong i'm not saying that it's the the biblical reference that we're all looking to but they did start talking about some things as far as implementing like zt strategies and really mandating that certain things take place but what we actually need there and you're making a valid point without actually saying it is they haven't appointed a leadership team or a leader aware of to say, you, you're going to run this thing. You're going to make sure that this all takes place. And it's going to require a human being somewhere with the uh, intestinal fortitude to say, like, look, this is what's going to happen. And if if it's not right, if it's going to cause potential loss of life and all these other things, degradation of the United States position as a world superpower, which is very realistic, not just, you know, hype then I'm not going to allow it to happen. I will cancel your contract if you can't make this right. Fix it. Well, I guess that's just all about the contract. I I imagine now government contracts are being looked at by lots of attorneys with the proper language to get out of that contract, you know, not, you know, or, or whatever, whatever side's doing the contract. I'm sure contracts. Well, we have the CMMC, which is compliance requirement that the federal government's pushed down, which is a bunch of different levels in it that say you have to do these things and that is a a good line in the sand that the government has made to say you know common common criteria common methodologies you know you must do these things in order to continue to have your contract but really like you're saying and i mean i'm ex-navy too you've got to know that a lot of these big companies out there they'll find ways to sort of work the system to their advantage um it's going to require a, uh, a, a strong individual get up there and be like, nope, not going to happen. Because, I mean, we are. We are literally risking American lives and America's position as a world superpower by continuing to allow failure to occur. So, again, we hear FireEye's name. And, you know, they seem to be one of the top people on this. And correct me if I'm wrong. What? Because we've, you know, heard about FireEye from SolarWinds. And we love FireEye, all our friends out there. But what can you tell us about what FireEye is doing? Well, I mean, all of these companies that are in the cybersecurity space are doing what they can with what they have. I mean, it's, 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 it's great that we're able to provide the capabilities and the technologies um, uh, to help fix some of these issues. But at the end of the day, 
this is not a technology problem. There's never going to be a magic button that you can kind of push and all your cybersecurity woes go away because people cause compromises and that's just how it occurs. And it's going to continue to be like that. But what you've really got to do is stand back and go, which technologies can I use to be the most effective and try and drive the adversary to go find another easy target? Like if Colonial was really hard target, the adversaries would have went somewhere else. You know, they don't waste their time with hard targets because they're not worth it. It's like if you and I live next to each other and I've got an ADT sign and a Doberman and they see me pacing around my front yard with a 12 gauge every day, nobody's going to come rob me. But if they see you with the front door and the front window open, where are they going to go? Right. So we have another comment and I hasn't popped their name up yet, but um, it says in your expert opinion, I'm sure this is to you, Chase. Do you think enterprise cyber criminals are targeting organizations that have cyber insurance, believing the target victim will use cyber insurance to pay the ransom? Uh, I think they are. Um, CNA got hit, Chubb got hit, which are insurance providers. And the bad guys, uh, I think it was Guccifer and a couple of others, literally said they enjoy going after cyber insurance companies because it gives them a list of who they know has got a policy that's going to pay stuff out. So, I mean, it it's like a self-licking ice cream company. If I target the insurance company, I know who they've got people with policies. Then I go after those people with policies and make the cyber insurance company pay. And you just, you know, rinse and repeat. But the thing that people should also take away when they think about cyber insurance is, uh, cyber insurance kind of sucks, just like most other insurance. Have you ever dealt with like an insurance company when you rent your car? It's really yeah. hard to get them to pay out. You know what I mean? So can you imagine going to a company that you've paid a cyber insurance policy for and say, look, I got owned. I need that policy paid up. Uh, and you're dealing with a time frame. Like that's not possible. In the in the case of Maersk and Norris Hydro that were taken down, they had insurance policies, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of policies. Guess how much they got paid out by the insurance provider? less than $4 million when it actually kicked off. So it's one of those things where if you're relying on the insurance company to help you out and take care of you, you have made a strategic error. So Andrew Lund then said, Biden's executive order calls for many sweeping changes from increased reporting to zero trust implementation. First, is this finally a bipartisan issue? And secondly, how do we make this turn into progress rather than CYA? Well, I, I agree with you. Cover your ass is a very applicable in this particular context, right? But uh, really, uh, is it bipartisan? I don't think anything's bipartisan anymore. My God, we can't help each other out no matter what seems to come across. So I, I would hope that this becomes a bipartisan thing and we can actually drive it forward and get some votes that go you know, the way that it needs to go to make this thing happen. But the other problem that we run into, and this is from a guy that regularly briefs, you know, congressional and senators and whatever else, of those individuals, you know how many of those people actually have degrees in computer science? Like three or four. You know, them actually have deep technical experience in cybersecurity? Very, very, very few. So it doesn't make sense that we're going to think that they're going to actually drive this forward when they don't actually have the knowledge to do it. Now, I'm not knocking the effort, but I'm saying that we as the people that aren't need to be aware that there is a lack of knowledge in that space, that if they don't ask the experts from the outside to come in and help them, nothing will ever get done. They'll write legislation that's not technically enforceable, like a lot of these privacy laws. So 
You know, this is some of your famous words you say all the time, zero trust, zero trust, zero trust. So tell us more what, yeah, you know, give us some more examples of, you know, what, where are people failing when it comes to zero trust? Well, number one, people fail at this because they think that there is the vendor solution that you just push the button and all of a sudden, I mean, I work at a vendor, I'll tell you flat out. We're not, we're not going to give you the easy button to push to do zero trust. We have capabilities that you can use to enable zero trust, just like many other vendors, but it is incumbent upon you, the individual that purchases a solution, to know how to leverage those capabilities to enable zero trust. You can't just this one and done. This is a marathon. It's a big project. It's strategic. It takes a lot of time and effort, and it's going to require you to focus on the realities of the problem that you face and align technical solutions to eliminate the adversary's ability to leverage that poor compromise. If you do that, you're gaining ground. And that's what we don't see happening more and fast enough. And a lot of these small businesses and mid-sized businesses that are going to be the avenue of compromise that will introduce threats, they kind of sit around and go, well, why would I be a target? Like, who would care about me? You are. You're a target. You're viable because you have connections into those larger organizations, larger enterprises, agencies, municipalities, etc. So it's something where everyone is required to look at and think about how you get better. So tell us about your last book and how what you wrote in that book is applying to everything that we're seeing right now. I mean, I hate to be that guy that kind of says, I told you so, but like, <laughs> I wrote about a lot of this in the book. Um, so, you know, I, I literally the title was Cyber Warfare, you know, Truth, Tactics and Strategies. And I mean, really, the, the thing there was to talk about we are in a warfare space. We are actively engaged, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, there are truths of the you know things like there are no allies. There aren't necessarily enemies um, that everyone is on a level playing field. And then there are things that you can do tactically or strategically to make yourself less of a target, just like you do in regular warfare. And that that was why I wanted to write the book. I'm actually looking at writing another one right now, specifically on ransomware in the context of ZT. So, um, you know, this stuff continues to go on and on. And like you and I were saying earlier, I'm not worried about being unemployed anytime soon. That's for sure. Well, that's definitely for sure. Um, well, how has that book like tell me what that book's doing is it are people reading it i know a lot of people are buying it is it making a difference i'm sure when you sat down to write that book it was to you had a mission so tell us what's happening yeah it's doing pretty well um i think you know a few thousand copies which for me makes me super happy i donate a lot of that money to the navy chief uh scholarship fund and other scholarship funds because I, I think that that's you know more important for that money to go to the right places but really um, the, the value that I think people can get from that book is, look, this is somebody that was in that space. This is somebody that lives, eats, sleeps, and breathes this stuff. And I was just trying to basically wrap people's head around what's real, what's BS, and then how you might be more aware of what are the actual uh, indicators and, and problems that you need to deal with in, in the space around cyber warfare. So do you have like a set of basic, simple guidelines? If you had to, you're talking about the smaller business owner that thinks it's not going to happen to me. If you had to give them a couple of examples of you should be doing this definitely without a doubt, what would that be? Well, I mean, Karsten said a lot of it, right? Back your data up, use the cloud, MFA all, all over the place, everywhere you've got. Make sure that you've got protection. Um, I'm personally a fan of remote browser isolation over a lot of the endpoint antivirus solutions for a couple of reasons. But, you know, get 
things going, take care of your users as much as you can, wrap controls around them, and then start segmenting and isolating your infrastructure so that you can live in that world of watertight integrity to throw a sort of Navy comment on it. Like it's, it's one of those things where I accept I'm going to have a compromise occur, but I'm going to put things in place that will minimize the impact of that, of that comment. And, you know, back to what I said about Colonial, they did what they could with what they had to their credit. Whoever did it was, you know, basically running around and ripping cables out of the wall, not literally, but figuratively, to slow the spread of this compromise from billing systems to others and et cetera. But, I mean, that's where you've got to kind of be is that this is, uh, this is the approach. And it's the basics. Like, the basics help you so much in this space, but ignorance and negligence and, and just not dealing with the problem aren't going to work. I had a customer that I talked with last week that had really valuable intellectual property. And when I was asking about their security infrastructure, the response was, I don't know. And I was like, are you like, what? You know, they were like, well, I'm not sure. And I was like, you mean to tell me that you have this, and it was really valuable IP and it was a company of about a hundred people. Like you're gambling a hundred people's livelihood on the fact that you don't know what your security system looks like. That's not okay. That's crazy. And if that's, and I'm sure there's a huge, who knows what the ratio of, of how many people are in this, that same way. But um, yeah, that's pretty scary. And do you think when I first heard about Colonial Pipeline, you know, we were driving back from, you know, we were in Indiana at my daughter's graduation. I was like, okay, well, who are they? I looked them up. They've been around. It's a very old, you know, school Pipeline kind of company. company. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because they're an old school company, do you think that they didn't take cybersecurity, you know, serious? because of that, because they're set in their ways of how they run the business. And it's hard to be open to these new ideas of what could happen. Yeah. And it's funny that you say, um, having done workshops and consulting stuff in the oil and gas and pipeline, sort of what you would consider the oldish industry, they're all about new technology that can help them save a, a nickel here, a dollar there for moving more gas faster and those types of things. And they, they'll take the most crazy newfangled thing they can get fuel which I get it, like that's your business. But the moment you start talking about them for something around cybersecurity, which to them is a cost center, it becomes like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like we, maybe we need that. Not, you know, the, the him and hawing whatever else. And I mean, now, now we see like it's, it's not just people trying to sell you security technology for the sake of selling security technology. The things you got to do um, to make yourself a harder target. So we had another comment that um, someone was saying, I recommend Dr. Chase Cunningham's book, Cyber Warfare. I bought Amazon Kindle version for all the cybersecurity experts. This is a must read, huge influence on me. So kudos to you, Chase. And I'll have my marketing, because I know they're listening to this when we reshare this, um, please tag that book so we can oh, spread you. the well, word. Yeah, know. I appreciate that. Whoever said it, I'm glad, I'm glad this one person read it other than my mother. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people have read it. I know you've been on our show and we've promoted it on our show. It's just, you know, I, I think now is the time that people are going to start taking these books more serious because we're seeing it happen. And, you know, yeah, we're not. I mean, that's, you know, we're not saying this like that's what I'm trying to get across to folks is it's not it's not sky is falling. It's not chicken little. It's not whatever. And I mean, I get it. It's not it's not sexy and it's not cool to have somebody tell you that this is a problem. But you've we have to deal with this collective. I 
I don't want to place people at blame, right? I don't want to say you screwed up and you're wrong, whatever else. However, when we know what we need to do and we choose to do the other, that's a problem. And there probably needs to be some liability and some accountability assigned for that. And it's not that this is necessarily an easy thing to do, um, but there are easy things you can do that can make you better and a harder target than someone else. We started um, a couple weeks ago, and you've probably seen it through my social media. We've been getting the CISOs together for this virtual um, bourbon happy hour. And it's been really fun and insightful because they they love it because they get to talk to each other. And we were actually talking about that. You know, what are you doing? Are you, you know, are the people that are the non-cyber Team, you know, that are non-cyber, how are you training them and are you penalizing them if they do something bad? And some of it was really interesting to hear the CISOs that were like, we're doing the exact opposite. You know, they're actually being rewarded for, you know, when we do these phishing tests. And um, so, so I think every company, where do you think companies are with the tr- security training of the non-cyber people? I mean, so here's the thing, and I, I get lots of hate mail about this because I say it all the time, is I, I don't think that I can fix people. I mean, I'm sorry, I can't. Like, people do people things. I can train them all day. Like, I can, can beat them about the face with cybersecurity. And ultimately, they they might get fished. They might get hacked. I'm, I'm a, a PhD that writes books at this, and somebody could get me because I just wasn't paying attention. So I personally think that relying, and let me make sure I box that in, relying on cybersecurity to be a boundary of efficacy for defense is a bad idea. I think a billion percent, you should train your people, you should educate them, fish test, whatever. But I don't think that you should rely on those folks to say, that's my level of security is my people are trained. That's not good enough. You need to have technical controls and technical capabilities between those users and the bad stuff because people are people. And that I mean, that's what you're trying to get to anyway. I don't, I don't have to, I don't need to be a, a, a trained mechanic to drive my truck. I just get in my truck and drive it. Uh, you know, it, it is, what it is. That's, that's kind of where we need to go with this, in my opinion. So, you know, for all the hate mail I get about saying uh, don't trust people and training doesn't work, I'm not saying don't trust people and I'm not saying training doesn't work. I'm saying relying on training as your line in the sand for security efficacy is a bad idea, period, end of story. Well, we talk about that all the time. Human error is is a huge problem. But can you fix the human error? Are there actual tools that if someone hits on a phishing attack that it's going to stop it? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, uh, this is one of the other products in the space, but uh, this is where I'm a fan of RBI, remote browser isolation. Like, there are ways that I can put controls in front of my users where when they interact with malicious content, it's sort of obliterated in the cloud. Like it's one of those things where I can say, you can go look at, you know, phishing stuff all day long, but because of the way that the system works, doesn't matter how many times you click it and how hard you click it, it's not actually gonna run on your machine and we'll make sure that when it does do what it does, it does it on a container in the cloud and you're not infected. Karsten uh, made a comment. He said, it's also important to train for a breach so you don't figure this out on the way on on the go when it happens is that what yeah. colonial pipeline did oh i mean they they got thrown into the fire i mean really for them and i karsten billion percent too right like i when i was doing workshops with folks and we did uh um uh, gaming for what was coming 
things. Like we walked in on Monday morning and just handed the CEO a letter and said, you've been compromised. Your network is down. What do you do? And I mean, that was the thing to tabletop, right? Start wrapping your head around this and dealing with it. And uh, if you've never trained, you know, uh, you and I were Navy, right? Trained the way you fight. Are trained for it. When things go sideways and the stress level goes up, it gets really bad really, really quickly. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot though. I mean, you know, we have about three minutes until we wrap up here. So if you take, you know, this next two minutes, what are, what does that look like? How do you pre, what's more important security training of pre or security training of post being hacked? How, how do you combine that all into one? I mean, I think what you need to do is you need to understand that there are best practices. There are technologies that you can put in place. I think that you should also understand that everyone is a potential target. We're all in the battlefield and we're all maybe going to wind up in a really bad place really quickly. So put things in place to be prepared for that and, and understand that you are operating in a dangerous environment, your business, your children, your home, your whatever. If it's in electrons, it's potentially compromised and live that way. That's how we start to get better at the, at the broad level. And I guess everybody's responsible. If it, you if you had to get leave everyone with one message, what each person could do in their own world, what would that be? Uh, well, I'm from Texas, right? I say don't trust nothing. So start living <laughs> that way. About it. Well, and you're a zero trust guy. So if if you could tell us zero trust, just define that one more time for us before we get ready to close. It's just removing trust relationships from within infrastructure. Don't don't trust things by default. Don't trust that things aren't going to be compromised and, and don't just accept that it's okay. Like think about things from the perspective of um, being a little more tinfoil hat wearing. And where can people find your book? Uh, it's on Amazon.com. It's Cyber Warfare, Truth, Tactics, and Strategies. And you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter with uh, at C-Y-N-J-A, Chase, C-H-A-S-E-C. Well, Dr. Chase Cunningham, Chief Strategy Officer from Aircon Software, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have your insight. You're, um, you didn't scare people too bad today. So sometimes he's on our shows and we like what he does because he, he really um, gets this message across. So we appreciate him being here. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of And Security for All. We look forward to seeing you all next week. Um, again, you can follow us on any of your, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a safe and secure and healthy weekend. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. <laughs>